Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, you're up at the Coast House, and I'm here in New London. Just got my air conditioning back on. The panel was broken, had a short or something. Oh, no. And it's 98 degrees. Jeez, and that office is so heavily insulated. Your studio must get warm. It's pretty warm when it it wants to be. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Mads Christensen is here. We're going to have a good talk with him. But first, we have this little matter of better know a framework to take care of. All right, dude, what do you got? Uh, This is a pretty cool uh, web framework for Vue. It's mm-hmm. a it's view sacks. They're front end view components. And you can go there at 1560.pwop.me or you could just, you know, Google view sacks. That's V U E S A X or Bing it if you prefer. I really don't care. Oh, uh, so view is actually like as in view the web components. Yeah, that's right. Right. And so it's really cool ecosystem with a lot of heavy contributors and you can just go Check out these components. I mean, you're, you you have the standard buttons, select notifications and checkbox and radio stuff too. But then you have like progress meters and avatars and pagination and breadcrumbs and and all sorts of neat stuff. So it's good. Open source control suite for Vue. Yeah. You know, you can make anything on in JavaScript now, can't you? Yeah, you really can. Yeah, that's yep. cool. Nice one. Yep, it's good. Go check it out. I haven't personally used it. I'm not in view right now. I'm actually in a knockout project, but uh, but uh, I've heard good things about this, and it's trending. So Nice. Yeah. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1393 from December of 2016 when we talked to one Mads Christensen about the end of Web Essentials. The end. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, that's 18 months ago, so we got to do a little bit of wine back here. So this is when Studio 2017 was not quite out yet. It was in release candidate, and we had this conversation about there's not going to be a single big install for Web Essentials. It's just going to be a bunch of extensibility pieces that you get from the marketplace. Right. And we provided tons of links, got some great comments on it. And this comment comes from Aaron. Again, remember... This was published December 28th of 2016, so this comment will make perfect sense. Another great episode. .NET Rocks is perfectly suited to the manual task of cutting up the Christmas tree into (laughs) compost bin-sized bits where I can be fully focused on listening. But the tree didn't get finished. I had to leave the job half done and go inside and write down the extensions that I need right now. Awesome. I love it. (laughs) Thanks to the show notes. Yeah, that's me. I did that. I made the show notes. Yeah. The hardest part was going through the list and choosing what to install. It felt a bit like Christmas all over again. Yeah. Currently at work, I'm developing a Greenfield web application. Many of these extensions will save me a lot of time, including the Vue.js pack. Nice. Look at Vue Sacks. At home, the boss has me updating her web app and the large UI overhaul with HTML and related extensions is saving my sanity in the countdown to the go live date. Uh, For what it's worth for others, the Web Essentials page is well curated, but I found some of the other extensions are more easily opened at the OpenVSX gallery and provided a couple of links. So there you go. A fan, an advocate, (laughs) and someone that we obviously affected at Christmas time in 2016. Yeah. So, Aaron, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media. So we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there or read on the show, we'll send you some Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We see them in 3D through our Viewmasters. 
<laughs> That's an old, old reference. <laughs> yeah. We gotta be like 50 to get left that. them all behind there, brother. All behind. <laughs> like, a bunch what? of people. Even the dogs are going, huh? Woo? Huh? <laughs> yep. Viewmaster. Viewmaster. That's what we played with when we were kids before we had HoloLenses. Yeah, it's just like a HoloLens, really, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> the static HoloLens. <laughs> static HoloLens. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's, br- let's bring Mads right. on. Mads Christensen is a senior program manager on the web platforms and tools team at Microsoft, working on the web developer experiences of Visual Studio. He has over a decade of experience in developing web apps on the Microsoft platform, which got him the honor of becoming both an ASP.NET MVP and ASP Insider. Mads is also the creator of blogengine.net, web developer checklist, and web essentials, which we were talking about. Also, image optimizer and voice commands for Visual Studio. Welcome back, Mads. Well, thanks for having me back. That was an old uh, introduction you had there. It was? Yeah. Are you not a senior program manager anymore? I'm still a program manager, but I've... uh, like six months ago, I moved from the web tools to the extensibility space, uh, still within Visual Studio, still the same building 18 here on uh, campus in Redmond. Mm, right. But, you know, I'm just up on third floor instead of second floor. And so, mm. uh, Ooh, but, you moved you know, on it up. It was accurate, though. <laughs> I've moved up, literally. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember saying something about voice commands for Visual Studio. You wouldn't, you, I don't think it would want to take my cursing literally. You know? <laughs> it's, uh, right. <laughs> Oh, I'll tell you where your extension can go. (laughs) You ever find yourself yelling at, you know, your, your assistant, whether it's Siri or whatever. Have you ever called it a bad name? Come on. Oh, raise your hand. The voice control systems. Of course you curse at them. (laughs) I found myself doing that the the other day. (laughs) I say, please. I'm trying to teach my uh, two and a half year old to like say, please and be, you know, courteous. And so. Right. To Alexa, I always say please after I ask her to, you know, play a song or add something to the shopping list. Nice. Isn't there actually an option in Alexa now to require, like, politeness? Uh, No, there is not. Specifically for kids? I would love that. That's a really interesting idea, isn't it? Yeah. I I call my Google Assistant names I would never call any human. It's, uh, you know, especially when you say exactly who you want to call and it says, who would you like to call? It's just infuriating. Anyway, yeah, I digress. Little rage. The last time you were here, Mads, we talked about Web Essentials, right? Yep. We talked about the uh, end of Web Essentials, yeah. or I think that's what you named the show, maybe. But <laughs> yep. it was really, it was really a uh, sort of a, a new beginning of Web Essentials, mm-hmm. or a new, or a new chapter rather, um, where Web Essentials went from being this big monolithic extension that it had been. For yeah, since Visual Studio 2011, I think, or sorry, 2012. Um, there was no 2011, um, but it's been this very big thing with all the features all inside one extension, and it got very big. And you know, it had a lot of code files, and and you know, it was hard to maintain over time, especially given it was open source, and that it was, um, you know, it somewhat relied on contributions. Uh, but I saw fewer and fewer contributors just because I think it would it was hard to actually build it at the end just because it was very big and, and did a lot of things. Yeah. So I had spent over a year, not full time, but, you know, a little bit here and there mm-hmm. to separate all the different features into their own smaller extensions. Like, ex- like 
under the paradigm of uh, do one thing and do one thing very well. Right. And so it became this piecemeal instead where Web Essential still actually existed, but all it did was install a bunch of other extensions. And so, you know, so it was end of an era. It was like the old code base, you know, disappeared, no longer existed in, in an extension, but instead it was spread out and then modified. Because once you spread things out into smaller things, it's easier to do your refactorings and code optimizations and so on. And so right. it wasn't just taking the code and putting it into a new project or whatever. It was, yeah. it was way more than that. It was more, um, a lot of things got improved over time. And I think I probably also uh, maybe left a little bit out. Um, mm. And then slowly I've been adding those things in as people <laughs> noticed that and required uh, or, or asked if I could add them back. But um, yeah, so that was that was sort of the end of Web Essentials and the beginning of the new Web Essentials. Yeah, very good. And I, I went on to the uh, the marketplace and looked for Web Essentials, and there's Web Essentials 2017, Mads Christensen. Yep. And it is sort of the, the core installer, but it does come with a bunch of extensions sort of pre-installed, and then there's optional ones to add from there, right? No, it does not. It doesn't do anything except install about 20 extensions. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so that's all it does. It, it, it just uh, talks to the extension manager APIs in Visual Studio to install a list of extensions. And you don't have to use that. You could go install each one of these extensions manually. Yeah, they're all on the marketplace. That's the beauty of this is that, hey, you know, Web Essentials, Web Essentials is great if you just want sort of a curated list of additional features relevant to web developers. Mm, right? right, it's a one-stop shop. You know, just go get that thing, and you you're gonna get a bunch of things that are likely gonna be relevant to you. Yeah. But if you kind of want to say, hey, I I actually only I'm only interested in the CSS stuff because that's where I find that you know that's what I have the hardest time developing is CSS. Right. Mm. So only give me that piece. Well, then just you know you have the option to just go get that single extension. And so it's actually interesting the the individual extensions that are all bundled into 2017, Web Essentials 2017. They all have more installs than <laughs> Web Essentials does. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, and, and it makes sense because you right. can install them individually. Right. right. Do you find a lot of people asking you about, you know, how to write their own Visual Studio extensions or is that a sort of an, a select breed that wants to do that? You know, I hear it uh, quite often, actually. And um, hmm. it's, it's funny, and it, I've, I've heard it like... Ever since I started myself, I think it's because a lot of people, they spend a long time uh, every day for mm. years right, in Visual Studio. Right. And there's only so much customization you can do with like settings and other people's extensions that you can install. Right. At some point, you know, a lot of people think, hey, it would be cool if dot, dot, dot. Right. You know? And then they might ask me on Twitter and, uh, you know, how do I get started? And so that led me to... Uh, write a blog post just the other week here on like things I would have liked to have known uh, when I started building extensions. So it's a, it's a good starting point. So if you want to, if you're thinking of adding a feature to Visual Studio through an extension, I, my latest blog post on mattschristensen.net has a, um, uh, a good sort of overview over like, here's, here's how to get started, you know, go watch this video first, then come back and here's, here's some links to some documentation and some articles that are, you know, would be helpful. And here's some other uh, resources for you mm. to use. And, um, mm. you know, I think that's a really good starting point because as you said, like it is a little bit of a niche thing, right. but I don't think it's a niche thing from 
the perspective of a lot of people, you know, kind of dabble with the idea of it would be cool if. Right. They just never act on it. And so I think right. if, if uh, I get more people to act on it, if we can make it simpler uh, to get started and add value, then, uh, you know, get to the wow moment or the success moment, uh, then I think everyone will win. I guess the question is, are there tools that still need to be built? Because you've built a ton of them. Yeah, and I keep I keep writing them because there's still a need for them. Like, right. It's it, what's really really funny is, um, or interesting uh, rather is is there there's a niche for everything, and it's like it's a never ending infinite amount of <laughs> of niches in, in existence, and you know both in the past and in the future, mm. and there's always a need for even the smallest thing will be helpful. So I wrote an extension that will insert a GUID. Okay. Mm, that's nice. This is like, they exist out there, but just not exactly the way I wanted it for myself. So right. I built that and it was super simple. And I used it as a learning tool as well to teach other people at the build conference, how to, how to write an extension. Those are things that you would do with snippets before that, or just, you know, maybe even extension methods, you know, or macros or macros. Yeah. yeah. There's a million and one ways to do that kind of thing. Why, yeah. what's the benefit of doing a visual studio extension over some of those things? Because it would be cool if. Bragging <laughs> <laughs> <Black and> rights. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, it doesn't have to be deeper than that, right? It was just like, hey, right. if I can have a keyboard shortcut and I have like control K space inserts a GUID in any file I have open, right? Mm. I, I, I write a lot of extensions and there's a lot of GUIDs when we're dealing with, uh, with extension authoring. And so sure. for me, I use it every single day. Right. And so it yeah. was just important that... Um, that I have a tool that does exactly what I need for my workflow. Mm. And the ones that were out there didn't do exactly that. They were actually, they're actually really good, the ones that are out there, but they didn't do exactly what I wanted. Yeah, right. And so I just took the opportunity to write that as a learning tool for others to learn from, but at the same time, solve the problem of mine. And so, you know, problems can be big and they can be small. And the thing about Visual Studio is, or any other thing you spend eight hours a day in is that there's a lot of paper cuts everywhere and so sure if you can remove those paper cuts one by one you know it's uh it's gonna put a smile on your face it's gonna make you more productive you're gonna be happier makes your life easier and you know you're gonna feel empowered if you were the one that wrote that extension you solved that problem for yourself and potentially others because you're you know being a good citizen and all you publish it to the marketplace so everyone can can use it Right. Yeah, the feeling of of empowerment is just, it's unbeatable. So you say in your blog post, not to skip the introduction, that it's really important that you understand the basics of how the extensibility system works. And if you skip that part, you're going to really screw the pooch. So maybe we should go over some of those basics. Yeah. You know, before you get started, you need to understand what an extension is. And I think that can be hard because... Uh, this is very unique to Visual Studio. Like everyone has a different extensibility model. If you've written an extension to Visual Studio code, let's say, you know, some of it is familiar to you, but it's also very different. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what I mean by don't skip the introduction because we need to get you in into the you know, mindset or the framework of what an extension is and what it can do. And there are a couple of files that are specific that you need to understand and one has to do with, you know, how you name things, how you, how you add icons, how you make your extension uh, attractive to other people to install. 
you know, and very simply you can do that, but you need to kind of understand how that, how that all works. Um, and then you have to understand how do you add new commands? How do you, um, um, create buttons on context menus and tool menus and toolbars right. and so on right. and hook that up correctly. And there's a few ways you can hook it up. And there, there are ways that are, you know, depending on this, the, the scenario is more accurate than, than other ways of doing it. Hmm. And, but it's, it's understanding all sort of the moving parts and when to use what. And this is not about details. It's not about individual APIs. It's more like an, an overview that gets you sort of the fundamental understanding of the different parts that make up an extension. And once you get that, then it's also much easier for you to know where to look for help. Say, I want to I do an extension that adds a tool window, let's say. Mm. Well, then you, if you have the, the general understanding of what an extension can do and how it does it, then you probably know that you, you can't just have a tool window, you also have to register it. Mm -hmm. And so you already, you're one step ahead in doing your searching on Google or whatever to figure out how to do this right because you know what to ask for. So even though you've never done a tool window before, mm -hmm. you're, you're set up for success much better if you don't skip the overview introduction. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and I love that idea that you just need to know enough to know to ask your questions the right way so you can find things too. Yes, right. yes, exactly. That's very important. Hey guys, hold that thought while we take a moment for this very important message. Hey, Carl here to say that Music to Code By is now an app called Music to Flow By. Now you can listen to the tracks on your phone with offline capability. The first three tracks are free, and the entire catalog is available by subscription with a new track arriving every month. Just go to musictoflowby.com for all the links. And we're back. Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell, Mads Christensen, and Stotnet Rocks, and we're talking about Visual Studio extensions. And uh, the, the blog post that he recently put up, which includes a link to your build talk on uh, Visual Studio extensibility. Yep. Which we definitely want people to watch. That's from build 2016. So that was, I was doing that whole demo in uh, Visual Studio 2015. Wow. Right. Uh, but you know, it's all, it's a 100% valid still to this day. So nothing has changed in the, in the realm of extensibility, uh, in terms of that, that overview given is exactly the same today. Mm. And it will be when Visual Studio 2019 comes out too. Hmm. That doesn't mean that there's not anything new and new funny, you know, funky APIs to use or new cool features. There totally is, but the, the, the fundamentals are the same. I'm poking around in your GitHub repositories and you have over 200 of them. Yes. Because you're busy. There you go. And it's, uh, you know, you're still updating. I see updates almost every day. Like you're working on this. What is your job, Mads? You've changed roles, but <laughs> yeah. you seem to yeah. always be contributing to what are really an array of open source projects. Yeah, it's gone down a little bit in the last year. Um, okay. My contributions. But, um, you know, my job is... Well, nowadays, it's to improve the extensibility story of Visual Studio. Right. And, uh, you know, and that, that means a lot of different things, depending on who you ask. <laughs> and so, uh, so a lot of time goes with, like, regular program management work, right? right? Um, however, the only way I can, like, fully understand and immerse myself into, you know, be in the, in the shoes of, of 
the users, the, the Visual Studio extension authors, is mm-hmm. to keep building extensions. I have to try sure. out the new APIs um, so I get an understanding for the uh, u- the user experience. And, uh, you know, sometimes that means I'm going to open a lot of bugs on on people that own APIs because I'm, I realize that, hey, these APIs are not as as easy to use as, as maybe they were designed for. And, um, right. you know, so I think it just kind of helps tremendously. So I do spend time in Visual Studio. It always helps to have a program manager who actually uses the product he manages. Like that's, that's very cool. As long as that doesn't overwhelm customer feedback too. How are you getting feedback from, from other users? Um, we do it in, see, this this is, this is where the whole niche thing comes in again because it, mm-hmm. it's actually a little hard because we don't have that many extenders out there. So the, the right. pool of who to to survey or whatever is relatively small. However, you know, writing an extension is only one equation or one part of the equation. Another part is the users of extensions. Yeah, and that pool is a lot bigger. And so, uh, you know, we we do we do different things. Um, so at Build, we interviewed like. 70 developers on their use of extensions and some of them they didn't use extensions so we interviewed them about that as well and so we can get some very uh I'd say that way we get some some good quantifiable data um other things we do is i interview i basically skype call uh people that write extensions so if you write extensions out there you have some extensions in the marketplace and and, uh, you know, you have some feedback for, for how that experience was building that extension. You know, mm. I'm, you know, would be more than happy to talk to you, get your pain points, learn, uh, your issues. And hopefully what it's going to end up in is we're going to, f- you know, fix all these things. Yeah, for sure. And so that's a, that's a really cool thing about being in the extensibility team is that I can fix something the next day by writing an extension. And my audience are happy to install extensions. <laughs> they have absolutely no problem doing so. That's your hammer. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also just because I was I was thinking in terms of what does it take to actually get a change done to Visual Studio itself? Because that's got to be challenging. It's such a right. big code base. Uh, that kind of depends on what you want to have done. Um, I don't see uh, some of it is like really quickly. We can do that, you know, within a week. Obviously, you have to wait for the next release to come out for you to get that change. But Yeah, but at least there's quarterly releases now. Yeah, and, and with the previews, it's even uh, more often. So if, you, if you're right. willing to take a preview, you can get your hands on this stuff like within a month. And so, nice. or even, work, you know, but. so, but then there are larger things that require uh, multiple teams to be involved. Those are the hard ones. Right. If you, if you have an issue that can be solved solely by one single team, the chances of it being done immediately is a lot bigger because they don't have to coordinate with anyone else. Right. And so, you know, it all depends on what you're asking for. We had a, we had a request uh, coming in uh, from the ALM Rangers the other day about um, they wanted an update all button. So when you go to the uh, extensions and updates dialog and you see you have like six extensions that need updates, it would be nice if there was a button that just says, update all of them in one right. click. And so we just added that because we didn't we didn't have to coordinate with anyone else. It's a very simple thing for us to do and you know we've heard it before a little bit here and a little bit there but but all of a sudden it was like this big ask coming in and it's like okay let's just let's get it done. It was on the backlog already. Um yep. let's just prioritize this because we have like half a day. 
like some of it just doesn't take that long. It's like, okay, no. let's just delight our users with this little thing. And so it depends on the current workload of the team. It depends on a lot of things, but sometimes we can move really fast. But I got to imagine you just were having a scrum. This topic came up again. Somebody had some, like I said, a half a day and they're looking at the backlog. Says, well, why don't I just take that and see if we can knock it out? And a week yeah, or so like, later, you get to, to delight everybody. Yeah. Mm. Oftentimes, it's like we're, you know, we're trying to investigate the, the feasibility of doing, you know, a feature or whatever that someone asked for. So, and doing that investigation, you almost write the feature just to see if it's possible. And at that point, it's like, well, should we just leave it at that? Or why not just like, spend the next uh, half a day and then finish it, right? Mm. Right. So, that's, mm. that happens quite a lot. Well, there's sort of an 80-20 rule there, too. Like, you can get to functional prototype pretty quickly, but you've got, also got to deal with localization slash globalization stuff. Like, when you when you really want to finish a feature for a studio, there's a lot of surface area to cover, isn't there? That's right, but that is not actually handled by the individual feature team, like, the, specifically oh, the, lo the localization. There's a whole... Uh, we, we have to set everything up in a way that uh, another a, a localization team can come in afterward and find all the right strings and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So we have to do the legwork to make that uh, discoverable by them. But but that's it. Of your latest Web Essentials pack, which one do you get the most, you know, this is awesome email about or tweets? Oh, man, I, I don't know. You know. I don't really get those things. No? <laughs> you know, uh, people uh, on the marketplace, they will rate your extension. Yeah. You know, good or bad, one star or five stars. And... Um, they will write comments. And because I have over 100 extensions, mm. I got so much email coming in that I decided to turn off those notifications. So I actually oh. don't I don't huh. know anymore um, how that all works. I don't pay attention oh, to it. If only there was a graph. Some, some of it was uh, very... <laughs> uh, I remember back when I did get it. You know, Some of it makes you happy and some of it makes you just really angry. <laughs> and uh, it, was, uh, it was a point where... You know, it didn't give me anything. It didn't add value. It mm. didn't make me change my behavior saying, oh, I got some bad reviews here. Let me go fix uh, fix it up. Let me allocate some time that I didn't oh, have done anyway. And, you know, but so it, it didn't make me do that. So it, it's better that I don't get those notifications. I'm just going to take a stab in the dark and say it's the image optimizer. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. 1.2 million downloads, 64 ratings, five stars. Yeah, like, yeah, I, doesn't get like better than that. that. Yeah, mm. I keep updating that one. Every time there's a new tool coming out that's sort of industry standard for optimizing PNGs or JPEGs or whatever, like Moss JPEG came out like three years ago, I opt so I updated it to have the Moss JPEG compressor. Um, you know, every time there's something, I update this to, to make sure it's, uh, mm. you get the best and the latest in technology. Right. I love this thing. This is one of my favorite things because I use it for websites, obviously. It's really yeah. good to optimize the images of your website. You can do it both losslessly and lossy. Mm. So lossless means the hum you know you, no pixel would change, but the file size is smaller. Hmm. Lossy means hey, we can actually change. We, we're going to change the pixels a little bit, but the human eye can't tell the difference, and we can substantially reduce the size of the file. So like let's say seventy percent, but the human eye can't tell that we did that. So uh, it has those two features. It can either compromise for for best quality or for best compression and so that's the lossless versus lossy and uh you know for websites that's tremendously uh important but i do it in all my extensions as well i do it in everything i do that involves images 
I use this to, uh, to make whatever file I have as small as possible. Right. Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now. It must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to try to think of some way to make the awesomeness that is Mad's vast catalog of work actually funny and utterly fail. Dude, you are amazing. Let's give him a round of applause. <laughs> I got nothing, man. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nowhere to go. Nothing, except that I want to be more like you. <laughs> and I mean that sincerely. Uh, it's actually time to give away a $200 Amazon card to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Compliments of Progress Telerik. But let me tell you about Conversational UI from Progress Telerik and Kendo UI. Conversational UI are chatbot framework agnostic user interface controls and components that enable .NET and JavaScript developers to create modern conversational chatbot experiences in their web, mobile, and desktop applications. The industry's first package set of user interface components built specifically for chatbots are available as part of the company's Telerik ASP.NET Ajax, ASP.NET MVC, ASP.NET Core, WinForms, WPF, Xamarin Products, and Kendo UI for jQuery, Angular, Vue, React, PHP, and JSP libraries. <sighs> By implementing key UI design features such as calendars, date pickers, list views, and others that are included in the tool sets, developers will be able to improve chatbot conversation through visual elements that enhance the natural flow of conversation. For more info, visit Telerik.com slash conversational dash UI. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Alastair Crabtree. Congratulations, Alistair. Yes. Golf clap for you. Alistair won a $200 Amazon gift card from Progress Telerik, our good friends over there, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to join, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And Mads, it's your turn now. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Uh, I would buy a system that would allow me to have like uh, automated car keys for my house. Hmm. So car keys. What I, what I, yeah, yeah. Sort of the concept of car keys. You leave the car, you click beep on your car keys, right? You click the button, and the car locks. Little fob, right? A little fob. So why can't I? I want that for my house. And oh, you know. Yeah. Well, and I can install, well, no, hang on. It's okay. not just a lock, right? Okay. I wanted to close the window, turn off the light, close the garage door, everything like that. So I want a couple of buttons. I want one that says, hey, I'm, you know, locked down. I'm the last one in the house. I'm leaving. So just lock up. Uh, I want one that says, hey, I'm going on vacation. Hmm. You know, put everything in vacation mode, like turn down the heat, the water boiler, all that sort of stuff. Right, And this is all possible today. I can totally get this today, maybe except for the yeah. closing of the windows. But it's going to be thousands of dollars because I need to it install all these individual components and hook it all up. And it's going to take forever. And uh, I think with 5,000 bucks, at least I can get the, all the components. But I'm not you sure get I, can started, get the, yeah. uh, I can get started. Yeah. You can get a service provider to do it for you, too. It'll just cost even more thousands of dollars. <laughs> Yeah, right. and I still, I still, I'm still not sure about the uh, door locks. Are still, I'm not sure that they're there yet. They don't look so good, and they're a little huge. And 
Yeah. There's always a sign that a product hasn't been figured out when there's like 20 companies making one, right? That's a hint. Whereas when it's solved, there's like, you buy this. It's it's sort right. of apparent, but it's uh, it's not like that. Everybody's sort of groping around for the correct answer. I yeah. absolutely want to do the sort of RFID front door. Then I could just put the chip in my hand, right? And just wave your hand, door unlocks. But I like being married too, so that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I want something where the key. I still have a key, but you know the new the newer uh, door locks. They will have um, both like a Bluetooth, so you have an app on your phone, and so when you could yeah. close it, unlocks. Uh, but also have a numpad so I can give, you know, family members the like a pin number yep. just for them that they can lock themselves in with. And then, you know, I want a regular key for when the power is out or the battery's drain or whatever. Like at the, and the keypad no longer works. The motor doesn't turn the, the thing. So it has to well, work with a regular. That's just crazy talk, Mr. Christensen. <laughs> I can't think he. I know. I know. Goodness. <laughs> Actually, one of the best keypad locks I've ever gotten does not turn the the tumbler, you still manually turn the tumbler, so the battery lasts forever. Because pulling that motor to actually unlock the door, that's what eats the battery. As opposed to the tumbler, you know, the knob does nothing until you enter the code, and it goes click, and now you can open the door. But then it's just a, isn't it then just a, like a security feature, then it's not really convenient, or what? Well, yeah, it's the degrees of convenient. Like, mm. do, do you have to remember your key? Can you give codes to other people? Like, all of those sorts of things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's... That's the stuff you want. Yeah. So I have um, keypad entry uh, locks from Slage on the studio, and I can, on my phone, unlock them from anywhere and see the status, and I can also assign numbers to anybody and take away numbers to anybody on my phone. Nice. See, the, I've, I've looked at that, uh, that brand in particular. They seem to be sort of furthest ahead with uh, the convenience and the, yeah, the design and all yeah. that. Yeah, yep. Yep. So that and a combination of some cameras that I can look at on my phone, I feel uh, heavily surveilled at the studio. <laughs> yeah. I got a new garage door and it has, uh, and I got an app for that, you know, so I can open it remotely. It even has like Apple Watch integration. So mm-hmm. I can like from my watch open the garage door. And, you know, it's, it's kind of stupid or silly, I guess, but I really love it. Hey Siri, open the garage door. <laughs> yeah this like, is the who, modern who, version who of a practical joke yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like oh i can't walk those four steps to click the button yeah i, I like the more you the your question is is the garage door open because you always have that moment after you've left the house right. you're like did, did i did i close the garage door and then it says calling richard campbell <laughs> 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 no you blankety blank <laughs> Oh, yeah, man. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna start another podcast just with all the things that you can tell Siri and Google Assistant and Alexa and Cortana, and then just have actually instead of describing them, just actually say the command. Yep. <laughs> and so when you're listening to it, your phone just lights up and starts doing stuff. Just goes nuts. Yeah, that's funny. So. Is the extensibility model for Visual Studio nailed? Like, do you see any structural changes that need to happen? Because I got to think that's the hard part is like, when do you revise this model that it might impact existing extensions? You know, it's definitely not flawless. (laughs) That's for sure. Ah, Okay. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. No, I mean, you have to remember that Visual Studio is very old. Very and it old. came from the 90s and it was all native code. And over the years, it sort of uh, became better and better. But because of backwards compatibility things, a lot of 
uh, concepts are still the way they were originally designed like decades ago. Hmm, sure. And so, um, so there is a sort of a, the history, so the history of Visual Studio actually impacts negatively, uh, on the extensibility model. Um, it mm-hmm. would be nice if we just had a, if we had a completely clean slate, you know, how would we do extensibility? And it would be That's the dream of everybody, closer right? to what Visual Studio Code had, has done. Mm. Right. Because Visual Studio Code has a different extensibility model. Yeah, it's it's completely different, and and also it has to be right because it's a very very different product uh, the way it's coded. Sure. But, um, but yeah, we would do something different, I think. But that's not to say necessarily that it's bad what is there. It's just <laughs> it might not be as obvious as right. like let's say a modern .NET API would be. Um, there are there are moving parts. There are there are file types that are sort of just foreign and uh, applies only to Visual Studio extensibility development, and you can't apply that knowledge nowhere else. Mm. And so uh, you can't really draw too much of your experience uh, if you've been a .NET developer for many many years. Um, you know, there's there's you can't just jump in and be productive writing an extension. Right. You know, you yeah. still have to go through the you get you know understand the the introduction and all this sort of stuff. So I think. Overall, it's decent, but with some major flaws in the way that um, there's too many unknowns. Like, we need, I get, or I need, I guess, my new job is that I need to make it so that it becomes easy to understand what to do. Like, how do you, how do you go from idea to start implementing the right thing? Mm. That is what today is very hard. And um, and we need to make it better. So, one 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 aspect of this is um, you know better documentation, better samples, all this sort of stuff. Right. So I recently completely redid the samples. So they're now new, modern, and applies to the latest versions of Visual Studio, and and mm-hmm. um, very nice and clean code, easy easy for you, hopefully to to use. Maybe you know copy paste a little bit. Uh, <laughs> feel free to do that. Um, then we have documentation, which uh, we're looking at here pretty soon to revamp that completely as well. Uh, and that's sort of, that's, that's good and all. Um, then, uh, you know, but it doesn't tell you necessarily everything you need to know. Um, so we're looking at better APIs. How can we, you know, Visual Basic, Carl, this is, you, you, you know this, uh, the my keyword in Visual Basic. My dot everything. Yeah. Right, relevant to you right now. That was very innovative. Yep. That's like, brilliantly discoverable thing yep. like you can you can you can uh, have the most obscure api but if everything is accessible through like my dot um then everything is discoverable it doesn't matter how obscure it is and how far away it is if it, if you can bring it right to the user right there and the thing that was great about my and still is is that you know when you type my dot that everything there is going to be pretty high level right it's not going to be you know if there is some uh, thing under a particular category, it's going to be a couple of namespaces deep, but you can right. tell right away that you know that it, it's very easy structured from high level to low level. Right. Yeah. So that idea of the my, which we had in Visual Studio or have, which is called the DTE, which is sort mm-hmm. of the, it was used for macros. It's sort of a, a very high level API. Uh, we have that. The problem is that it doesn't use the best practices. It's not necessarily the most performant thing to do. There are other implementations that we kind of want you to do, but or use instead, but you don't know that, 
Right? And right, so that's yeah. actually problematic. So that's one of these flaws where we kind of have a way to lead you down through a path to success, but only to a certain extent, right? Because then, you know, you're going to have issues with the, you know, you you run on the UI thread where you, yeah. and you block some other calls and Visual Studio freezes and you don't know why, but that's because you don't know that you're using an API we kind of don't want you to use, but we can't remove it for backwards compatibility reasons either, uh, or for other reasons actually. But, uh, so that you have these issues. And so I'm kind of trying to figure out, and I think this would be the, the one of the biggest uh, aids um, to extension office is a way to say, I want to do feature X. What should I do? If I right. can answer that question, then uh, I think that's the that's the major hurdle. And and I think we can get there. And it might be through um, some sort of uh, API explore window, or or it could be <laughs> I don't know at this point. Yeah, uh, I'm exploring ideas, and um, and so so the biggest the biggest issue is discoverability, right? That's you want to do X, but you have no idea how to how to even ask sure, how the to question. even get started in that. Yeah. How do you even ask the question that leads you to the right answer is like very right. hard. And, re- and you know, over time you will understand, you will, you will know, but I'm talking about years of extension development before you get to that point. And so that's just mm. not good enough. And we have to do better at, at lead you down the right path, uh, as soon as possible. And, yeah. um, and so something is coming, something is, is done, and we do nothing in isolation anymore. So we're going to, um, this could start as an extension that, you know, we can iterate on and, and have the, uh, the sort of the extenders out there help us with. The good thing about this being extensibility, as I said before, is that we can write extensions and people will actually use them. Right. Uh, and contribute to them because we are talking to the right audience here, right, uh, for extensibility. So, um I, my, so my, my dream is that we're going to be much more community driven when it comes to these things going forward, simply because we can for yeah. this particular, uh, type of features, we can actually be extremely community driven and do everything through extensions, which means we don't have to talk about it. We right. can, we can code it up and you can try it. Take it out for a spin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. That's awesome. That has me very excited. So should we expect a next release candidate or, or maybe twenty in the 2019 edition, some of these new capabilities? Um, no, don't expect that because, <laughs> as I said, I don't, uh, I haven't nailed it yet. I don't know. Right. Just from an You're idea. You're still exploring or concept, this. I'm still exploring. So right. this is too early to say. However, it can totally be the case that it's going to be out at the same time as 2019. But it will sure. not be part of 2019. It will be an extension you can install. Yeah, of course it will. Uh, be. Yeah, and you know, I think that's a that's a kind of a nice idea anyway, given that it's the extensibility space that you know you, you do these things as as uh, optional extensions, um, as long as people know how to get those extensions, and that yeah, we will come, that we will have for you. So we will have a way to suggest extensions based on the context that you're in. So let's say that you open an extensibility project in Visual Studio. We can prompt you to hey, say, hey, you know, we've noticed that you're using, you know, you have an extensibility project. We recommend that you use this extension to make your life easier. Do you want to install it? You can click yes and, and you get the extension. Uh, so that's coming for everything. So that means you op- it could also be you open a file, like a markdown file, and it says, hey, you don't, we don't have a markdown file uh, editor in Visual Studio, but do you want to install this extension? Yeah. 
So this is a known pattern from a lot of other IDEs and editors out there. Um, so we're going we're gonna to add that to, uh, to 2019, as well as another thing that's kind of important. So we're coming out now in the next update to uh, 2017 with the concept of an extension pack. Okay. So this is an extension that's it's basically empty, but it has a JSON file in it that specifies just a list of extensions that is its uh, children, so to say. And so when you install the extension, it will read that JSON file and it'll say, hey, here are the 10 extensions that you know it wants you to install. And it will then install them. It will ask you, well, do you want them all or, or just, you know, and you can select which ones you want and you can uh, install them. So that's immensely powerful. That means Web Essentials is moving to that system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Productivity Power Tools is also moving to that system. Nice. It also means that I can take, I can create an extension where all the children are extensions I didn't write, but that right. I like to do. Like John Papa, for instance, for Visual Studio Code, he, I think he was one of the first ones to do a, an extension pack for Visual Studio Code, where he just bundles all sorts of useful things for when you're doing Angular development. All right, so there's like five extensions, Angular snippets, Angular commands, or whatever. And he just builds an extension pack that gives you that. So if you want to build, so you, so th- this is the same idea as as Web Essentials, right? So here's an here's a pack with rele- uh, relevant stuff for web development. So we're gonna do that from my team. We're gonna have an extension pack full of extensions that are relevant for extension authors. And that's gonna be really cool because that means that anyone that writes an extension that's of high quality. And that's relevant to extension authors specifically, and gen- you know, generally enough that you will actually use it. We can include in our extension pack, so we no longer have to build all the tooling ourselves. Right. Which is perfect, especially for extensibility, right? Where we want you to look at our code; it's all open source. We want you to learn how we did certain features, so you can do that yourself in your extensions and make uh, more people happy that way, right? Um, so. So that's the way we're going now. That those are the two features that, when they come in to uh, 2019, uh, we can really start to uh, leveraging uh, sort of all these concepts that are <laughs> still to be crystallized. But whenever something happens, you get notified. So now right. we have a new extension that does this new API thing, uh, and you're going to be notified. Say, hey, there's a new extension for this in your extension pack. Do you want to install mm. it? Mm. You say yes. You know. So we can push features to you. It's all still up to you whether or not you want to take them or not. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel very excited for that. Yeah, for sure. That's, uh, yeah. it's, that's amazing. And it yeah. is just, it just continues to add value. And uh, I guess, you know, I, is there any chance of Visual Studio slowing down with all these extensions in it to a point where it, you know, becomes unusable? Or is the architecture such that it can handle a lot of these extensions all loaded at the same time. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, there is no answer. Uh, there is no correct answer. Except buy more <laughs> RAM. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we can dissect uh, the question a little bit, or the answer. Let's do that. Um, okay. So the answer is yes and no at the same time. So, for instance, extensions can either be initialized. When they are when a when one of their commands is being executed, which means unless you use the command that it ships, the extension never loads. 
right. and therefore adds no you know, memory or CPU footprint to Visual Studio until it's actually being used. That's a very good practice. That is, that, that's the type of extensions that we really like. Okay? Yeah. Um, because they, have, they just have no impact unless they're being used. They're lazy loaded. Right. Then there are other types of extensions that load themselves based on certain events that happen. One could be Visual Studio starts up. And that adds time to the startup. Right. It adds memory and CPU and so on. Sure. Other other events could be, hey, when a solution has loaded or a certain project type, like let's say a .NET Core project has opened, I want to load my extension that does certain things. And, uh, you know, that's important that you can do these sort of things. And it, it opens for some scenarios. Uh, but those are the ones where, uh, yes, the more you have of those, it will have an impact on sort of the memory and all that. Um, but... As as we, as as sort of the system, the extensibility store sort of progresses, we're learning about uh, all these things and how to optimize them in the best way. And we just we just uh, blogged about uh, this like like last month, I think. We we blogged about we're going to turn off synchronous loading extensions. Hmm. So let's say that an extension loads automatically when the a solution is being loaded. Yeah, we're no longer doing that. We're we we're, we're waiting to load any extensions till after the solution has loaded. Right. And then we're doing it uh, sequentially so that we don't, uh, you know, utilize all the CPU or whatever. So the Visual Studio effectively right. hangs. Yeah. Cause people generally read code before they start writing it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's about the respect for the user and to give the best possible user experience. And I think everyone agrees to this, right? Including extension authors themselves, mm-hmm. even though now they have to say, okay, I have to, I have to, uh, maybe make some modifications uh, in my code to to like because the solution might already be loaded by the time my extension is loaded. Whereas before it wasn't the case. Right. The extension loaded first, mm-hmm. and so you know you have to change things a little bit. But I think everyone agrees that it's the better approach to do, even though it involves uh, maybe some work. And so we've refined these rules and also the capabilities of when extensions load, uh, how to you know, get out of the whole notion of having to auto-load at all. So we've actually made it easier and easier to avoid auto-loading completely and do it lazily when you click the command for the first time and it won't won't load until then. Nice. And so... So the the answer is is complicated, right? But it depends on the type of extension and when it loads. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great that you guys are thinking about all that stuff. And I'm glad I don't have to. (laughs) <laughs> and, and is there some kind of governor there that looks at a badly behaved extension and said, this guy's causing problems, maybe we should kill him? Uh, <laughs> uh, we look at it, but we don't We don't kill them, no. Instead, we okay. want to reach out and, uh, and help fix it. So we do get a bunch of, um, uh, we have telemetry on all extensions, and we can see how many times they cause a crash or a UI delay. Cool. Right. And, um, you know... And so we, we, we know what to do and we open uh, issues on, on GitHub uh, on extension authors or uh, if that's gotta be spooky we, we write an email to them directly you know and we get the dialogue going sometimes i have to like find them on twitter or <laughs> you know, yeah. and, uh, but you know it, it's all it's all good and it's actually not that big of a, a task for us to keep up with it sure. turns out when you look at the telemetry that extensions are actually not that big of a cause of either ui delay or, or crashes so um, it is not the big uh, it's not what we spend most time doing 
Cool. I did poke around a little further in the marketplace and found that your bundler minifier is the only thing more popular than, in terms of downloads anyway, than the image optimizer. But but bundler minifiers, A, there's a bunch of them, and B, they're, you know, now I can actually see in the comments why you don't watch the comments anymore. Because here's a guy (laughs) screaming that your your extension crashes machine, and then to his credit, writes another comment sometime later, says, hey, I uninstalled this thing, and I'm still crashing, so I guess it's not you. Sorry, here's a (laughs) five-star. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's also like you get uh, you get buck you get someone saying, "Hey, this doesn't work. It sucks." It's like, right. okay, I can do absolutely nothing with that information. Yeah, right? Now not I have to poke anyway. at you to get the details. Well, what version are you on? How did what happened? What did you do? Can you re- how can I reproduce the issue? Like at that point, you leave it up to me to engage with you to get right. that information. And you Solve could have just gone problem. to GitHub and opened yep. an issue with all the information that was needed. Yeah. Right. The, the, what's, what's really um, interesting with this is all the people using ex- my extensions for Visual Studio, they're all developers, right? Because they're right. using Visual Studio. So you would think that... They know, they know <laughs> that how to they write a bug a, report. Yeah, that they would have an appreciation for, for a good bug report. Yeah, and it turns out that you know, a lot of people do, a lot of people do to their credit, yeah. and then some people don't, and um, it's just noise, and it's it just it does not add anything of value. Do you find how you know it's interesting to look at the overall numbers just in the tools section? Like there's over fifty, there's fifty four hundred things that qualify as tools in the marketplace, and uh, how many people have never installed an extension? Like I just wonder um, at these numbers. Yeah. So, um, we know that about 25% of Visual Studio users have used third-party extensions. Okay. So, that's a very low number. Well, yeah. actually, it's a high number because at no point do we... We haven't really done a good job at marketing extensions, you know? Right. Um, Making them visible When you Visual Studio, we don't tell you, oh, by the way, you know, do this and that. Well, if you listen uh, to we, Don and Rocks, of course, you're going <laughs> to know. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, um, so I, I don't actually know what to make of that number, if it's high or low. Yeah. But what I do make of it is that uh, my team and I, we have like a great opportunity to make that closer to 100. And so I see that's a very positive thing that we can move this up. Um, if we if we do our legwork, we get a lot of valuable extensions into the marketplace and mm-hmm. we are able to advertise them, get them into the yeah. hands of the user. This, this is the critical part, right? How do you... So of the 70 people we interviewed, discoverability was a problem to almost all of them. Right. Um, like, how do you, unless your colleague uh, or Microsoft or someone else you trust have recommended an extension to you, then what's your incentive to go, you know, spelunk the marketplace to like, oh, I'm just going to sure. peruse in here and, and see if there's anything that piques my interest. Like, that takes time. Mm. You know, uh, people don't really tend to do that. And so, if we can get in and tell you about something at the moment you need it that's where we want to be right sure that's a really interesting challenge yeah it's actually hard but you know one thing could be hey you open a project with a certain you know a certain project type could be unity or samarin or you know .NET core or whatever um or it could be a certain file type that you open that we can say hey there's an extension for this it could be you're adding a nuget package 
right, so you're sure, adding right. uh, something about uh, the Azure SDK. We could say, hey, there's a there's a new uh, storage explorer for Azure that might be interesting to you. Um, you're starting to write a regex, and we can we can tell that you're writing a regex. You say, hey, there's actually a regex extension here that will make it better for you to write extend mm. uh, regexes. So it's about like being very contextual without being annoying. <laughs> That's mm. actually hard. Um, and get you, you know, valid recommendations, you know, when you need them. So that's one aspect. That's where Microsoft, we can come in and suggest these things to you and help you out this way. Another one is like your team members can help you out. And so what we're, uh, what we're going to introduce here, um, we don't have it quite yet. I have an extension that does it, uh, but uh, it's going to be baked into 2019 at some point. Is the notion of you can have solution-based extensions. So the, the owner of an of an, a solution can say, you know, when you're when you're opening this uh, solution, I want you to have these three extensions because we use that to optimize the images and to bundle and minify, you know, or to build our regexes, you know, or whatever it might be. And so now, the the owner of the solution is the one that promotes extensions to all its users, whether that's you know team members on the team. Or right. if it's open source project, it's it's for everyone who clones the project. Say, hey, in order to get the best experience, you need to get these three extensions. And so uh, the more of this sort of uh, recommendation we can get in, in a way that makes sense into the context you're in without being annoying, the better. Yeah. And also without picking favorites too, right? Like, oh, yeah. So that would be a challenge when there's two or three approaches to optimizing an image available as extensions like how do you recommend one over the other or recommend one and not mention the other yeah exactly like it's, so we need, we need to get that uh, we need to get that right because someone has to make that list right well and plus five thousand extensions is its own disaster too nobody can look at five thousand extensions well mm. it, for, for 2017 it's it's 2600 Right. Only. Only. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, right. but to realize I'm struggling to do something in images and say, here are three extension libraries that could help you with this. Right. That's pretty powerful. But so so what we're gonna what we're doing, and we've already started this work and we're gonna expand on it a lot, is uh to give you sort of warnings and errors based on best practice violations. So right now we just introduced this uh, very recently. When you upload an extension to the marketplace, it will scan through the extension and make sure that you're doing certain things right, or or else you will get a warning. Yeah. So at this right. point, we don't have any errors, but they will, for instance, it will catch if you're trying to synchronously load an extension. We're going to tell you, hey, you're breaching best practices here. You should do it asynchronously. Mm. That's an example, right? Uh, but you can imagine. We we can add so many other things to this validator. That's like, hey, you need a you know high quality icon. You need a description that's longer than thirty characters. You know, I'm making this up right now. Right. Um, <laughs> we can test for all sorts of things that can give us sort of a, a an idea of a certain minimum quality level. Right. So so if we can come in and say, okay, this extension has you know. Uh, is, is valid <laughs> it's not violating any of the automated tests that we have then we might consider it for a for a uh to promote it to recommend it right because you know uh but that could just be a prerequisite that's probably just a prerequisite uh, but to ever be uh suggested by microsoft as an extension for a certain scenario you have to at least 
adhere to best practices. Right. And so I think before we have an automated system that's like fully capable of, you know, sort of green lighting you to, <laughs> uh, to, to be in that pool of whitelist extensions, um, then, then it's too hard to do without, um, you know, then we have to be very careful. Because right. at least when we have an automated system, we can uh, we can say immediately that hey, this these fifty percent of extensions are not even uh, we're not even considering. Yeah, they're not in this league. Yeah, it makes the pool a lot smaller, and so I think that's well, it, but curation is hard, and you are telling people their baby is ugly. I know. <laughs> it yep. is hard. Yep. Yeah. But I think I think uh, as an extender. I think there's a, there's an understanding of what it means because you know as an extender what you're capable of. You know the amount of damage you can do to the uh, person installing the extension, right? You can, mm. you can re- you, there's no sandbox in Visual Studio. So you can do anything C Sharp allows you to do. It can make for some really fun practical joke extensions. Anybody written those? <laughs> yeah, I have a few. <laughs> have you really? <laughs> of course he has. <laughs> All right. What were they? Come on. I got I to gotta hear a story here. Okay. Well, the, the original one I had, Syed, Hashimi, and I, we built this for Visual Studio 2010. It's, uh, it's an extension called Farticus. <laughs> so it, it basically is. reacts to uh, when a build fails. And you can <laughs> sort of imagine what it does. I can, I can imagine. Yes. No, I'm, yeah. I'm there. <laughs> Hey, look, it's still in the marketplace, too. How about that? I'll include a link in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's open source. You go check out the code. Uh, yeah, so this, this, uh, this, is the, this is the original, probably, prank extension that's out there. I had another one in mind. So Mike Lorbetsky, he's, uh, he's a developer on the uh, web tools team in Visual Studio. And uh, him and I, we had the idea of, of, of creating an extension called uh, Visual Studio Cola. Okay, and it basically mimics that someone poured coke into your keyboard. Oh. So whenever you, so every now and again when you hit a key, it would just pretend that it's stuck and just keep repeating that key press for like nice. thirty seconds, right? And then I you have to it. hit it three times for it to stop and you know stuff like that. And sometimes when you click a key, nothing happens. Right. Oh man. So That's what's awesome. next, man? What's in your inbox? Uh, paternity leave. Wow! All right, yeah, that's why the reasons we're getting this show done today is like you're gone next <laughs> week. This is it. You're out. All right. Yeah, wow. I broke up my uh, my paternity leave here at Microsoft. The fathers get uh, twelve weeks. So my son was born in December last year. So I had I did half my my leave there into January. Mm, nice. And so now I'm uh, I'm doing the other half here during the summer. Wow. Yeah, and then That's after cool. that, it's all uh, it's all back to the to the daily grind of, of making extension uh, writing better. You know. Wow. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for being you, man, and thanks for all your hard work and letting us know about uh, the best way to write extensions. It's great. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on again. You bet. All right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, 
and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a